Welcome to Episode 7 of The Brinkman Podcast, the show where we take a look at the audio drama The Brinkman Adventures. We learn some of the stories behind the uh, missionaries that we uh, cover in The Brinkman Adventures. We learn a little bit about the cast and the crew, about the writing process, uh, some of the funny things that have happened, some of the sad things that have happened, uh, the lessons that we have learned. Uh, I'm Eric Schilder. And, and I'm Sarah Boltman. And there's Sarah Boltman. Aunt Sarah is with me as well. And joining us again today is Ian Boltman. Hello. Uh, the wonderful man behind the Brinkman Adventures, the uh, founder and uh, what my mom always said, like the chief cook and bottle washer. And that's right. And I think she said <laughs> she said it a lot. So I think she thought it was very, very funny. Uh, so today, what we're going to be talking about is another season six episode, yeah. Dutch Underground, part one. Oh my goodness. I part am so ain. excited about this, this episode. Is a special one. Yeah, both of these, part one and part two. So. It, it is wow. actually very special and it's very close to uh, Ian's heart. Ian, why don't you give us a, a 30 second overview of this episode, of these two episodes, and why. Uh, they're so special to you. Yeah, sure. So my, my middle name is Reng, and I'm named, named after my Opa, who came from Holland, and Opa fought in the Dutch underground. He was a part of the Dutch resistance. And ever since I can remember, I was told the stories about Opa and his brother and their escapades in Oma, and um, they had some amazing stories. And so as we were um, thinking of new episodes to do with the Brinkman Adventures, I just thought how how much Opa... And his, um, his example that he set for us has impacted me and mm -hmm. my family and my uncles and aunts and cousins. And so we thought, what a great story to tell to, to kids today about um, standing up and resisting evil, and uh, even when it might be costly. And so that's what the story is. It's, it's, it's very dear to our hearts. Mm -hmm. And we even went to Holland to, to record this. And um, researched the areas where they happened, where the events took place while we were there. So it's just been a great experience. Yeah, the, I've I've heard some some snippets, and I am aware of the of the storyline, and it is very exciting. I think it's it's very very cool that you are in Holland, and it is I is it an all Dutch Dutch cast? Or there's a, yes, there's a, I think it is. Uh, so I think we've got a we've got a clip uh, queued up. And what is the kind of the context of the clip? I'm not in? sure. Aunt Sarah picked this. It's going to be a surprise. You guys get to get to hear. All right. You ready, Josh? So without any further ado, go ahead and run the clip. Ring, wake up. What's wrong? The Germans are here. Quickly. There's a JU-52s. Those moths are bombing the airfield. Those are soldiers with parachutes. Dad, a bomb exploded near Hans' neighborhood. Hans! Charlotte! Say you okay? In here, Dad. We saw the explosion from our house. You okay? We're fine. A little shook up. Charlotte has the kids on her table in the back room. I think a bomb hit the government building. Wow. It blew out your windows. Yeah, I know. In the bedroom, too. Almost knocked me out of my bed. Whew. 
That was too close. It is probably safer at our place. And we have plenty of food. Thanks, Dad. We can take a couple of the kits on our bikes. Give us a couple of minutes to pack. I am very surprised. Holland is a neutral country. And the German are our friends. Oh, that's that's really exciting. It's it's really neat to hear. Now, the voices that we hear in there are the main character is Rain, right? Is that, right. Right, that correct? How do you say Rang in proper Dutch? Is it uh, Rangert? I think it's Rangert. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we can ask our resident expert in a moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so. And his brother's name was Hans. Hans. And joining us, our very special guest is Dolph von Kester? Van Kestren. Van Kestren, okay. And uh, he is the son of Hans, is that correct? Yes, the son of my Opa's brother. So that would make him my... Mom's cousin. Mom's cousin or great uncle, I'm not sure. But and he's here with us he's, via Skype. He's here. Uh, thank you for joining us, Dolph. Goeiedag. Goeiedag, goedenavond. Dank u wel. Ja, dank u wel. And... Uh, so he's going to start Alles speaking. All is good with you. Yeah, I think you've exhausted it. I, I, <laughs> I actually, uh, it's a funny story. I actually lived in Den Haag for uh, over a year. I was, I was working in Holland, but uh, I've forgotten a lot <laughs> of the Dutch. The, the big thing about it was that my name, uh, Schilder, the last name was pronounced Schilder, Schilder which yeah. is, is painter. Yeah. And so every time I come through the, the, the Dutch passport office, they go, you know, your name means painter. <laughs> and of course, you just have to laugh like it's the funniest thing you've ever heard. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, yeah, enough about so me. Uh, Dolph, how are you doing? You're calling, we're calling you and you're in California right now. Is that correct? I'm in, I'm in Carson City, Nevada. Oh, Nevada. Is, uh, approximately 30 miles south of Reno and about 450 miles north of Las Vegas. Okay. okay, that's and a long that's a long way from Carson Holland. City, <laughs> yeah, Carson City is uh, the capital of Nevada. Okay, and uh, you do, were you able to hear the clip as we were playing it? Yes, I did, and it, it brought back some not very pleasant memories. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, we're we're sorry about that, but I think Sarah's got some questions she'd like to ask uh, you about okay. that. Yeah. So, I mean. This story is so special to us, Dolph, because this was our Oma and Opa, you know, the people that we looked up to so much growing up. And um, having researched this story and went to the Netherlands and saw where this happened, I mean, my brother Ian and I have been immersed in this story for, I mean, a year probably. And so when I heard that you were available to talk to and when you began telling me stories the other day, I literally just feel like I flew back in time with you. And, I mean, it's such an honor and a privilege to have you here. I mean, really, we're so, so grateful you'd come and speak with us. Um, so we'd love our listeners to also hear that, hear what it was like really being there. Now, now, how old were you when that first bomb was dropped there? The first bomb that was dropped in our neighborhood, I was about eight. Okay, so you were young. I re- yeah, I was pretty young, but I remember that very distinctly. As what you were you know, thinking? Our formative years were somewhere between three and six, and uh, I was yeah. outside of that already. And I was asked, because I was the oldest, to obviously try to share some responsibility within our family. 
And so I remember it very well. It was not a very pleasant experience, very frightening, mm -hmm. especially to young people. But our mom, our mom Charlotte, was just one, just, just a wonderful mom and always took very well care of us. Mm. Plus, she would share with us that we have to have faith in our Heavenly Father. Wow. And we would hide in a small room in the center of our home. So we then were waiting for the siren to take off again so mm. we could come out of it. The sirens always would make sound, you know, the sounds mm. of sirens prior to that we were bombed. Wow. We did directly uh, get hit. But it was in the distance of maybe the length of less than a football field. Oh, my goodness. So it was very close. What were you thinking as an eight-year-old boy when the first bomb happened? Do you remember any of your thoughts or was it just the feelings of... Mostly fear. You know, mm. you are really frightened. And since that was a experience that you've never experienced before, mm -hmm. you have so many things flashing through your head that don't make a lot of sense. Mm. Why does that happen? You know? Mm -hmm. And still today, I have struggles that we talk a great deal about how wonderful we are as people, but we don't mm. walk the walk. We mm. have wars all around us all day, every day. Mm. And it's not very pleasant at all. You know, mm. it's very sad. Mm -hmm. And I'm very disappointed. Yeah. And so, but I'm, I'm glad to have experienced that because I learned a lot during that period of time. And I'm grateful for that privilege because it has given me a lot more appreciation for continuing to live my life. Mm -hmm. And especially mm -hmm. in the United States of America, you know, so it's been, it's been pretty special. Wow. Did, you, did that answer your question? Uh, yes, <laughs> very much so. You've lived through so many things. I, I mean, in this episode, we hear um, your father, Hans, and we hear Rang, try to figure out what they should do about the Nazi invasion. Um, and there's a scene in there where they're just kind of racking their brains. What do we do? Should we help? Should we not help? And um, in the episode, your dad says, we need to do this. Would you kind of give us some ideas? Why did your dad want to help? What was he like? I mean, can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, sure. If I, uh, if I, I become a little emotional, you just don't pay too much attention to that. I'll get through it. <clears throat> yeah. Hans, Hans went into the resistance because he wanted to help the Jews. He also wanted to live one of the Ten Commandments to try to be decent to your neighbor. Mm. Okay. Mm. And trying to help people that have a need. There were lots of Jews that were in our country and were not liked at all by the Nazis, as you know. They were definitely on the way to extinction as much as the Nazis could do that. Mm -hmm. And they did do a pretty good job. And that just wanted to help. So he would be very involved in the uh, changing of and also making of passports that would enable the members of the uh, Jews to walk around for a period of time until the Germans recognized that a lot of that material was 
falsified, you know, by the Dutch mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. And then they started to obviously pick up a lot more Jews. But that helped a great deal with trying to help people to go underground and come up with different names mm-hmm. and where they were born, etc. And we did also have uh, young adults living with us in our home in Voorburg for uh, a good period of time. Uh, one lady comes to mind, a lady with the name of Felicia Prachter. And uh, that's, a, that's another story. Was she Jewish or was I'm she um, was she Jewish yeah, or was oh, she yeah. from yeah, very Holland? Jewish. My mom was Dutch but, or English, by the way. She was born in uh, in Wales, in Cardiff. Okay. And if the Germans would have known that she was British, as you know, the Germans didn't have any any respect or appreciation or consideration for really anybody, not even themselves. But uh, they would have taken mom out, and I'm glad. Mm-hmm that mom was saved and, you know, providing support by her faith that she did have because she was a very faithful and God-fearing person. And I'm really grateful for having had her as my mom till she was 92 years of age before she passed away. It was not, he he wanted to do something. Grandpa Rudolf, he... Which is, which is my dad's father and Hans's father, uh, Rank's father. Yeah. And uh, the Rick, the lady that lived in Australia, we had the good fortune to visit her not too terribly long ago <laughs> before she passed away. And, uh, but uh, Opa Rudolf did not want his sons to uh, go in the on- underground or in the resistance. He was dead set against it. Yeah, that's what we had heard, and I was wondering why was that? It, for, mostly for fear that something would happen to them. You know, they they were more interested in trying to be pro-Nazi, mm. unfortunately, and I hate to say that because it's my grandpa, mm-hmm. than to try to fight against them. And both Hans and Ring were guys that really were not interested in trying to be pro-Nazi. They were very independent. You know, they left their homes at a pretty young age. Mm. Dad got married uh, sooner than uh, than uh, your opa did. He uh, married in 1944. And my dad married in 1932, 33, somewhere there. And so dad, he was definitely immediately involved in the in the uh, resistance very sure all, all all happened is a person asked him the question will you help us he said mm-hmm. sure and he got involved mm-hmm. and he stayed involved so that he was taken uh, prisoner uh, and then after he became prisoner then rank took over what dad was doing but yeah grandpa and, and you, you have to kind of understand how people think during these time periods that they don't like to be oppressed, mm-hmm. but they don't really want to go fight it either. You know, mm. they are not willing to make a very assertive type of decision. And that's okay. It is what it is. Yeah. Do you have to dislike your grandpa for that? I struggled with it for quite a while. Mm-hmm. 
but I've, I've grown up a little bit and learned to understand a little bit more why people behave the way they do yeah. and why I behave the way I did. Yeah. So, again, uh, he is accountable for that decision that he made. And Omarang and my dad Hans are accountable for the decisions they made. Mm -hmm. I'm very proud of my dad. I'm very proud of Omarang that they were willing to go out there and help out the people that were being even more oppressed than the Dutch people were, that were the Jewish people. Uncle Dolph, and, you, you said that you had um, somebody staying at your house. Could you just talk a little bit about that? What was it like to have a Jewish person living in your house during those times, and how did you hide them? I mean, do you remember any of that? Yeah, you, hi you hide them into closets, okay? Especially during the time that there are uh, Germans that come into your home. Because the Germans came into the homes uh, to pick up guys between the age of 18 and 45. Hmm. And that's a whole new story as to what happened to my dad. He was not taken at that particular time. And they did not know that he was in the resistance. But uh, he was spared. And so uh, Felicia, that young lady that stayed with us, uh, she would switch homes on a regular basis. It would not be consistent that she would stay there more than maybe one night and oh, then wow. go over to a neighbor with whom we had contacts and then come back to us the following night huh. just to try to you know mix that up just a little bit it was not difficult at all you know you were helping someone and we were happy to do that would she so, sleep in the bed like would she sleep in a normal bedroom or did she have to sleep somewhere hiding no no it, it, during the day especially when we were concerned of that the Nazis would walk into our homes, yeah, we would put her in hiding. But she would sleep in the, in the bed. Okay. And uh, stayed with us for uh, quite some time, for several years, as a matter of fact. But she was not the only one. There were several other ones that did sleep with us, as well as with our neighbors wow. that were helping the resistance as well. And you have to do what you have to do. You don't give it much of a second thought. And... Uh, you make people happy, and that makes you happy also. You know, mm -hmm. if you can, if you can spare a person yeah. from being taken to a concentration camp yeah. or to a facility where they're being burned on the stakes, you're going to help them. You yeah. would also, Ian. You would. I know. I know you would do. Eric, you would. You know, I sure especially would. when they're friends of you. Yeah. You know, you just let them get burned. You go after them. D Dolph, yeah. did you uh, ever follow up? I, you know, again, it may be a, a, a sensitive subject, but uh, these folks that did stay with you, um, did you eventually find out what happened to them? Did were, were you able to catch up with them after the war? I, I imagine but, yeah, that... about, the only, yeah, about the only one we followed up on was was uh, Felicia, uh, and how that happened. My mom was living in Los Gatos, California, about 50 miles south of San Francisco in California. Mm -hmm. She was listening to a radio talk show, and uh, the the announcer or the person I was interviewing her was, and she was listening to the questions and the answers, and she then said, "Hey, to herself, I think I know this person." So after the show was over. She contacted the radio station in San Francisco and she introduced herself and asked if this is the young lady that I believe it is, uh, could you please put her in contact with us? 
So we had one. We had a. Take your time. Excuse me. We had a great experience that he came over to Los Gatos, California, and we learned that she was a, a became a model. Oh. And she had been modeling in New York and in San Francisco, yeah. and she was doing super <laughs> beautiful gal. Yeah. And I think at that time she was maybe in her 30s. I can't remember that too well. Uh, but we had a great visit. So my two sisters and my brother and myself and my mom and my stepdad, uh, we visited with, with her for the day. And mm. it was just great, you know, to have that experience that you helped her out during the war and she was doing very well, you know, in the United States of America. So, yeah, those are pleasant uh, stories. Not necessarily that I hang on to that. Yeah. You bring it up, so we'll talk about it. But Well, uh, I appreciate that. That's that, fascinating. That does me. not necessarily drive me. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's happy. Dolph, we had the opportunity, I don't know if Sarah told you this, but we had the opportunity to visit the Orange Hotel when we were in, in Holland. And um, a jailer took us and a historian took us into the one cell that still um, kept preserved from World War II. And we, um, we told them who we were, and she got a book out. And she found your dad in there, and he had, she shared with us uh, what his, his resistance name was. And she was also familiar with what he had scratched on the wall of the prison, um, and I'm sure that you're you're familiar with that. If you maybe could share that um, Dutch phrase with us and what it means. Yeah, give me half a second. I uh, I worked on that a little bit today to make sure that I could uh, pronounce it correctly. Oh yeah, here, here yeah here it is. Okay, the pronunciation of that uh, scratching that he did on the wall was uh, niet klagen, maar dragen. Niet, N-I-E-T, stands for N-O-T. K-L-A-G-E-N stands for complain. Mar stands for but. Mar is the M-W-A-R, that stands for B-U-T. And then dragen, D-R-A-G-E-N, stands for to wear or hmm. to pray to God for a force or strength. Hmm. So quit your complaining and carry the load, you know? And so I like that. I think that's a pretty awesome type of statement, especially when you're imprisoned. Yeah. And I got, wow. I got about five letters from him. They were all directed to this guy with the exception of mom, to mom mm-hmm. one to my mom. <clears throat> And he would always, always encourage me. That's him. that's how he was. He was mm. just a guy that wow. was all upbeat, just very well liked, appreciated, mm. respected in the, in the city that he lived in. He had his own business that he started, and very successful for that time in the 1930s. And I'm just really proud of him, of what he did. Yeah. I can't. I think we might have lost uh, Dolph here. Well, while we try to get him back, um, I want to ask Ian, uh, this this was recorded in Holland, right? That's correct. Yep, in Holland. And how did... Uh, now tell in Hardewijk. 
tell tell me how did you how did you get how did it all come together? Well, there's a there's a singer that lives by us, Jason Upton, and he travels over over to Holland to do concerts. And I was aware of that. I, I got in touch with him, and he said, there, there's these people, the Deckers, that you need to meet. They'll take care of you. And the Deckers took care of us. We went over, and we spent 10 days with them, and they <laughs> found the actors. They'd bring the actors in, and we would record them, and then we'd go see a castle and then bring another <laughs> actor in. So it was just an amazing experience. And they yeah. acted in some of the, um, they played some of the characters as well, and uh, all four of the family, Mom, Dad, and Nora, and Jordan, uh, Sandra, in Lombard. Awesome. Sounds, Amazing sounds like a Brinkman operation. Oh, man. Uh, you know, just finding friends and family and hey, you up the street. You sound pretty good. Come here. <laughs> right. Uh, it was great. And they got some they got some pros to help us out. Sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um I've heard some of the episode and it's it's very powerful. It's very exciting. And I think one of the things that I find important is that these stories, um, However many of them we can get need need to be told, because that that generation is is beginning to fade. They are on the mm-hmm. you know they they're older older folks now, and we must not forget what happened, and we must not forget the individual. We can study it in a history book, right. but we need to know the stories, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that's one of the reasons I'm really excited about this, um, as well as you know really trying to answer the question that you brought up, Sarah, which is, well, what do you do? do? Do you go out there and do what you know to be right? Um, but, but what if it endangers your family? Yeah. How, you know, we, we, I think we were talking when we were talking about the episode, yeah. how do you wrestle with, on the one hand, I am told I, I must care for my family, but on the other hand, I must do what is right. It's kind of a theme I'm yeah. sensing for season six because, you know, we, we tell the Dave Eubank story, yeah. too, and uh, Dave is dealing, kind of wrestling with the same dilemma of seeing things um, that helping these people could actually hurt me. Yeah. And do I still do it even if it risks me, mm-hmm. my safety? And that's the, the yeah. message of, um, of Dutch Underground. Yeah. What I think is amazing about this story, which he... Um, Dolph talked about a little bit is the older generation was uh, they just were used to comfort and they wanted they wanted to hang on to that and so maybe we're willing to compromise a little bit because of oh, we need to be safe where the younger guys you know were like no this is wrong we need to do something so I just think it's kind of interesting how comfort can kind of blind us a little bit and maybe um, I don't know it's it's just interesting and what what excites me about young people is that they have kind of they haven't lived yet lived this crazy long life they've they've just like well anything's possible this is wrong we need to do something about it and a lot of times i think revival happens through the youth so mm-hmm. that's why one reason why i love brinkman adventures is because it's you know sparking in these ideas and and kids saying you know you don't have to just go with what everyone's doing. Don't just do what everyone's doing, but listen to what God is telling you and do it. You can do it. And these stories, I'm, I'm just so excited to be a part of this because, you know, telling these stories, I feel so honored. And I think it even goes beyond the the comfort aspect that I'm comfortable here. I, I don't want to rock the boat. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, one thing we know about Holland is that, you know, it, due to its location, it was always being invaded and there would be, you know, and I think the Dutch became very good at surviving hmm. and they, they very good. And, uh, I know from my time there, it was, it was kind of like nothing really shook them very much. Hmm. Um, so, 
you know, they're, they're a passionate people, and especially uh, when it comes to family. That's one of the things I noticed was family was was very, very important. And uh, not that it's important, not important in other other places, but it was probably the one place where that real warmth mm-hmm. comes out, yeah. uh, that real warmth and that... Uh, that coziness, that uh, the, the word you Chazelich. can try, <laughs> Uh Yes, it comes comes out, and I think that the Dutch, being kind of survivors by that point, and they had to survive for a, a long time under German occupation, and so I'm so thankful that Dolph could be here with us, and I could probably I could probably sit and listen to to him with stories. Well, maybe he'll pop back up. Maybe he'll pop back up at the very end, which <laughs> would be it. nice. I wanted to ask you a few production questions. Can, can I say one oh, thing yeah. um, next? But one, one thought that I had as you were talking, Eric, is um, my opa would say the Jewish people are the apple of God's eye. Mm-hmm. And I just want to bring that up again. Is That's another driving, driving theme in the story is um, they're God's chosen people. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't stand by and watch what was happening. Mm-hmm. Those are God's people. And I mean, we're all important. Don't get me wrong, but mm-hmm. it's a Jewish race. And, right. and, and they're the apple of God's eye, Opal would say. And so I think that kind of inspired him and inspired some of his actions. In this. Yeah, and, and over history, because of that special position that they occupied, they've been targeted. Right. And, um, you know, I, I think that you've got a very good point, Ian. Uh, I, I wanted to just touch a little briefly on the the sound design there because yeah. uh, you played that for me earlier and you made like the dive bomber sound. Uh, and you said thing. it sounded like an X fighter, uh, a Tie fighter, yeah. <laughs> tie fighter. Um, uh, who, who's doing the music for this episode? Jared DePascali. Okay, and he's amazing, and he's oh, in Nashville, yeah. and and he um, he he said, "What an honor to be able to score this show for you guys," and and he went above and beyond. And, yeah, he did. Um, man, the the theme that he wrote for this story. I love, I love it. I know it's just playing over and over in my head. I'm like, I just want to yeah. listen to the music. Maybe he'll yeah. do a little, ep- you know, just he needs to write the a music whole, a just whole for this. Yeah, symphony. Yeah, yeah right. Exactly. Oh, that'd be that'd be actually it's kind of a cool idea. You know, the seed um, for this theme though is just marvelous, and he hired a violinist beautiful. to play it, and uh, yeah, it's just wonderful. And the the sound design, I remember because we talked a lot about boots, and who did who did the sound design? My son Josh to the sound design. Son, for this. Engineer Josh, who's here with us now, <laughs> uh, we got to give him him a little credit for that. Come on over here, Josh. Get in the mic. And and Josh, by the way, also plays Ian Brinkman. Hello. <laughs> so he's he's kind of a he's kind of a guy of many talents that way. But um, so I was walking in the studio and I couldn't but help notice that there is a bookshelf over there that's got six pairs of boots. Over there, where Josh, were those the boots that you used for? I actually, um, so the Germans, a lot of Germans had um, nail boots, like hob nail yeah. boots, yeah. So I took some of my dad's old boots and I screwed um, the screws into them. Like, not while he was wearing them, I hope. Yeah, now I, yeah, that would have been bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then I went around Port Washington. It was kind of awkward because people gave me weird looks because I'm wearing these big huge massive boots and I'm, I have this like pole looking thing with a fuzzy thing at the end and I'm just <laughs> stomping stomping really loud and um, walking back and forth back and forth on the <laughs> sidewalk <laughs> and like uh, just kind of waving at the people but yeah so that was how I made that sound 
That's pretty funny. Ian, Ian actually went and grabbed one, and uh, here it's, they are. It's well, got a, yeah. They literally have screws in them and <laughs> yeah. metal plates. That's amazing. I hope Josh. you were kind of done with those boots. Is is all <laughs> I can Something say. Even more special. Oh, oh yeah, that yeah. is really cool too. Yeah. And what is that? These are my um Opie's boots. Yeah, those so are these the are his boots. actual boots. And did you use those Rings. in the sound design? Yeah, I used these for his, oh, his that actual is, footsteps. That is Amazing. very, very cool. Yeah. Um, so we got a special theme. We've got, you know, family. We've we got to talk with Dolph. Uh, and we got to hear Opa's boots in the episode. And so I, I think it's going to be really special. It's going to be one of those highlights of, of season six. It's getting to the point now where we're having a hard time determining where the highlights are because <laughs> right. they're all really, really one. special episodes. Yeah. So that's uh, Dutch Underground Part 1. And uh, you can find out more information about uh, this episode as well as the s- stories behind a lot of the other episodes at www.brinkmanadventures.com. And uh, I think that wraps it up. Uh, anything you want to finish up with, Ian? I think we should do a part two on this. I think so too. There's a lot to talk about oh, this episode. I, we can yeah. we can have a lot of different episodes. So, but I think we'd have to get some stroopwafel uh, and some fritzmet mayo. Oh, I yes. do have some stroopwafel at home. Oh, Let's do it. I love those. So and, and druppies. Druppies, Dutch licorice, yeah. And brochas. Live on sandwiches, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, well, from all of us, we we wish you God's blessing and. Uh, we hope that we that you come back next time. Yeah. Bye bye. Thanks for joining us.